Hello and welcome to the Plebeian Power Hour. Today we're going to be talking about bricks and not the kind you build your house with, but the kind that you build a de-dollarization force with. Yeah, so <laughs> bricks stand for myself. Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. And it is sort of like the G20. If you guys know anything about the G20 it is, and the G7, it's kind of like that. But we'll get into that later. So it's yeah. a group of countries that have come together against the American dollar for their own trade. And they decided, we're going to start our own G7 over here, mm-hmm. and you guys can't be a part of it. <laughs> so the the term BRICS, the B-R-I-C-S, was coined in like 2001 by an economist at Goldman Sachs. And he it was Brazil, Russia, India, China, and he was trying to say, these are the people you're going to have to pay attention to. These are the up-and-coming economies of the world. So, right, and actually a British journalist picked up on that, Jim O'Neill, and he used it as well. And I thought he was the one that made it up. He I, was the one that made it up. So Jim O'Neill is the guy. economist journalist. <laughs> Uh, the same. I have same both guy. pieces of information in my notes. I do not have the second man's name because apparently it's the first man's name. <laughs> there were these two fellas, both named both, Jim O'Neill. One was an economist, came up with one it was a journalist. Time. <laughs> kind of amazing. But anyway, in 2009, these countries decided to adopt the moniker for themselves they took it upon themselves to look at this guy's article that said that they were going to have the similar growing economies which they did not china just rocket ship past them all and decided to make this group because of jim o'neill's recommendation yeah so what they had decided was hey let's all kind of come together and we'll work together economically and so one of the things that they did was they um, so the if if you look at like kind of the world order the G seven G twenty they they had created something called the the um, International Monetary Foundation and the, the World Bank and the World Bank and so they had created those to kind of the the worry was that the world economy would kind of falter and this well, was to keep had. it all it had faltered. In the when they started with the G seven, it was kind of after the nineteen seventy oil crises crises that they'd had, and then they ballooned the G twenty several years later, where they added the top twenty contributors to the economy, and it makes up eighty five percent of the world's money is in those top twenty countries. Yeah. And everyone that is in BRICS is in the G20 at this point. Yeah. And I actually don't anticipate that really Oh, it's changing changing. in January. Oh, are they kicking someone out? No, they are are adding adding... people. There's at least 35 countries on the docket. Oh, are you talking about BRICS or? Oh, God, yeah, I was. Okay, because I thought you were talking about G20. Because I don't think they're going to leave G20. We're so clear. But yeah. Because there's no real timeline to this. So this is all just sort of, there's very little timeline. Usually we can follow the timeline. But but this is more um, kind of discussion-based, truly. Yeah. So the, the timeline thing really is, they in 2009, they started their own kind of official BRICS thing where these countries would get together and they would 
just hold these summits every year where they would talk and come up with ideas and plans to boost their economy. So one of them, they created a, I don't want to call it necessarily a competitor, but basically a second, you know, they call it the New Development Bank. And mm -hmm. it's the it does the same kind of function as the World Bank where it will loan out money mostly for, like, infrastructure and those sort of things to, you know, people not just in the BRICS, we'll call it an alliance or group, mm -hmm. but not just in there, but to more to these developing countries, similar to, like, the Belt and Road Initiative. Yeah. Well, this is why I kind of wandered into the G7, G20 area, because I couldn't, in all of my research, understand what they really did. It yeah. really just seemed like a group of countries that got together and chatted about stuff and then went home. And so when I'm like, okay, what does the G7 do? And they are largely political. They they come together and they talk about politics. And the G20 talks a lot about um, mostly money is why it started, but also climate change and making sure that human rights atrocities are not happening and things like that. Like they've expanded over the years. But I couldn't figure out what Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa were talking about. Even though I am looking at their agenda. And I am like, okay, I see this. <laughs> see this agenda. Uh, I still don't understand what this is for. <laughs> and, and I was kind of thinking that. But the reason that we kind of got on this topic is there's been a lot of talk in the news, you know. Oh, yeah. Lately in the last, you know, really a couple of years where they talk about this idea of, like de-dollarization and yes. these BRICS, uh, you know, countries, which BRICS is expanding as you were kind of mm -hmm. going into, but these BRICS countries starting to work together to lessen their economic ties to the U.S. Yes. So ever since World War II, the dollar has been the strongest, most stable currency on average across the entire globe so yeah people there's have been a, trading a big story behind that if you know Bretton Woods have you heard of Bretton Woods I haven't so this was at the end of World War II I mean World War II I think was still going on and European leaders and U.S. leaders got together in a place called Bretton Woods which is why it's called Bretton Woods mm -hmm. and they needed to figure out a way to stabilize currencies so in the Great Depression they went off the gold standard yes because they were they couldn't they they you know, needed to change, you know, basically pump more money, but you couldn't really pump, you know, more gold. So they went off this standard and they were saying, let's get back on the gold standard. So at Bretton Woods, what they did was they tied the U.S. dollar to gold at a very fixed rate, $35 an ounce. And then they tied the European currencies to the dollar at specific rates. And the idea was to stop things like what had happened in, you know, Germany, where everybody just started printing money and money became worthless. So they, that was the idea behind this was we'll have a, you know, everything will be backed by gold, which at the time, you know, U.S. was loaning, you know, money essentially to Europe and Europe was paying gold. The U.S. ended up with like 70% of like the gold reserves in the world. Whoa. So they were like, okay, we'll back it, $35 for an ounce of gold. And that will be a set fixed price. So the dollar is tied to gold, and it's always this amount. And it lasted that way until 
the 70s. 70s. And in the mm-hmm. 70s, that was actually having a very bad effect on the U.S. economy because the U.S., these other you know countries could change their currency. The U.S. can't. The U.S. is backed, tied to gold, and it, it has a set rate. And they, we're running out of gold reserves. So everybody, you know, you could go cash in a dollar for gold. Well, people are taking the money, that, you know, the U.S. dollars that they had, these other countries, and saying, all right, give me some gold. And the U.S. is running out of gold and worried, what are we going to do when we got no gold left? So they decided to go off the gold standard. So Nixon did that in, like, 71, 71. And they just had a mild recession in 69. Just a simple, mild one. And then this is kind of just a fascinating thing, fact that I'm going to throw in here, is one of the reasons they decided to do this is because when you're backed by gold, you have boom and bust cycles. So a lot of depressions, a lot of you know success, and it would just cycle, but they took it off because you're at higher risk of hyperinflation, but your boom-bust cycle slows down and when you look at the different um, economic cycles that the country has gone through since the 1970s it has but it hasn't boom busted like it did before it really has kind of chilled it out a little bit because it's manipulative manipulative what is that word manipulatable manipulatable (laughs) you can manipulate Uh, you can manipulate this currency Good grief, this whole day. (laughs) Uh. Yeah, so what had kind of happened after uh, 1970 when they went off the gold standard is this idea of something called the petrodollar started uh, replacing, you know, it wasn't... Petrol? Petro. Petro. So if you look up petrodollar, that's kind of what people say... The gold standard kind of changed to more the, of this petrodollar, where in, in 19, I think it was in 73, the U.S. made a deal with Saudi Arabia that all oil would be bought in U.S. dollars. And so then they're kind of, instead of tying the dollar to gold, it kind of became tied to oil. Which and, is funny because OPEC quadrupled the cost of oil at that time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I think was... That's what actually caused the the biggest recession in the United States until 2008 was, was because them. when they did this, then OPEC decided to quadruple the cost of oil. Yeah, so what kind of brings up this whole topic is that we were, you know, seeing this stuff about, you know, bricks and kind of, care, you know, what is bricks and then this idea of the... the the de-dollarization. So one of the things that happens with the dollar is it becomes the dominant currency for almost all foreign trade. Mm-hmm. So pretty much, I think they said, um, like in just now, for example, in the last couple of years, like 88% of all foreign trade involves the spending of dollars. And it isn't all done in dollars because, you know, like one trade could involve dollars, euros, and, you know, yuan, you know, anything. But 88% at least contain some amount of dollars. And not only that, but 
uh, 60% of uh, essentially countries own, you know, reserves that they, you know, their own, you know, cash reserves. So other countries beside the U.S., 60% of their reserves are in U.S. dollars. And so that the U.S. dollar, because it's so stable, is what people want. You know, you can use that in all your foreign trade, which you can't necessarily do that with other currencies. You know, nobody's looking to get the the ruble or whatever. So this <laughs> idea that... Nobody's looking for the ruble. ...that the these countries are trying to get away from the dollar starts sparking this fear that this is going to... Well, one of the things that happened lately, and this is why this has been kind of in the news, and this is why BRICS is picking up steam, is that in 2020, America started devaluing their dollar by printing out extra money for people during the pandemic. And so the value of the purchasing power of of the dollar went down because the markets then flooded. Well, then we get Trump's out of office and we get Biden and Biden does it again. And then you have the PPP loans and you've got, you know, all of this money being created, which lessens the purchasing power of every dollar. So because of the inflation that is responding to that, the countries, especially the, you know, less affluent countries are being incredibly hurt by this because in a way because their reserves are in dollars it's kind of like when you go get a loaf of bread and you're like whoa it's 30 percent more expensive that's how everything is for all these countries now and they're like the value of my dollar is not good i don't want to use this anymore but then you also had two big things happen One was that Russia invaded Ukraine. And the second had to do with China. And I can't remember what it was. (laughs) Well, let's talk about the first one then. Let's talk about the first one. So the first one was interesting because one of the big things that happened was the idea of sanctions. So when Russia invaded the Ukraine, the response from, you know, the U.S. and not just the U.S. was to sanction russia yes and one of the ways that you do that is you basically just say to them you can't trade u.s dollars anymore you know we own the system you know there's a system called swift but Mm -hmm. you know the u.s kind of owns the ability to you know move these dollars around and to be fair it wasn't that the united states made this decision on their own this was a bunch of countries saying yes we absolutely should sanction russia and, and, and this was how they chose to sh- sanction Russia. Yeah. And, and in fact, the dollar is the one of the things I saw said it, the dollar wasn't the big one. It was the euro because Russia trades more with Europe. And so mm. them not being able to trade in euros has been more harmful than them not being able to trade in dollars. Mm-hmm. But that ability to put these sanctions on was something that the U.S. was kind of counting on to... Um, you know, to stop Russia is, mm-hmm. all right, you won't be able to do your international trade mm-hmm. because it all happens in dollars. So then what? when uh, Russia goes to these other BRICS, you know, countries and says, hey, let's trade in different currencies. In our own in currencies. In our own currencies mm-hmm. for, 
you know, any. So, like, I think Russia will trade and, and take, you know, they'll accept the Chinese yuan, or mm-hmm. I think they also have a red bimbi or something. They'll accept Chinese currency. I think they started accepting India's currency. You know, like, they will accept this other currency now for trade, and by doing that, it lessens the ability, you know, for the U.S. sanctions to actually do anything. And I do know what China was. I remember now. Okay. Because it had to do with when Trump was in office, Trump put a lot of tariffs yeah. on stuff, and so the trade was impeded. But then even Biden has been doing a ton of stopping of trade. Like, they have on power lines, you know how you have the transformers on power lines? Yeah. It takes one year to get one of those now because we're not allowed to buy them from China anymore. So, and part of that is because of the accusation of companies like Huawei. Is that what it was? I think it's Huawei. Huawei. And because they were using these things to spy on the American people and the American government. So that is one of the reasons why these things are not available anymore and they're out of the United States. But when you think of it, as major major players in the world. I just kind of want to put something in perspective here because the United States currently has a GDP of $23 trillion and China has a GDP of $17 trillion. And you want to know who's third? Uh, India. Japan. Japan. At $4.5 trillion. So the gap between these two gigantic money countries and there's even rumor that China is very, very, very de- devaluing their yuan and that, that their money is actually worth way more than what the United States has. Yeah. But they want it to be less because they want people it helps them to with their trade, trade with them. And, and that's one of the thing I think, things that I think Trump was accusing them. Is you're yeah. manipulating your currency so that you get better trade deals than Which the they US have and, openly admitted in yeah. the early 2000s, in the mid-2000s, like in 2007. They would talk about how they did that. Yeah. So when Trump's like, hey, this is what you're doing, and they're like, what? Because our trade deficit with China is gigantic. Yeah. We trade about, um, I don't know, $130 billion to China, and China gives, we buy like 600 and something billion in Chinese, and that creates a, a Chinese product. And so that creates a deficit of like, that's a huge imbalance. And, and the U.S. has that billion. imbalance with almost everybody. The U.S. is a consumer. Imports way more mm-hmm. than it exports. And one of the ways that they say that they do that is because the dollar is that dominant currency. Because everybody wants the dollar. So the U.S. can offer anybody dollars for any product and not have to give them another product. The product is the dollar. That is, and one economist literally says that so this is a an economist um that i've read and he says uh one service dollar stability that's the service that's being offered is being exchanged for another good or service something you know that we buy potentially from china so because we've made this dollar so stable and so uh prominent in the world that is the product people want the dollar so we're able to take these dollars without giving anybody a product we just print some dollars and then say you know give us what you got and we don't give them anything in return 
but dollars. And that's one of the things that they are worried about with this concept of de-dollarization is we potentially lose the ability to do that. And we don't have the manufacturing capacity to say, okay, instead of dollars, here's a tractor. You know, like mm. we'll give you something else. So if we lose this ability, I think it's going to be painful, but yeah. probably a good, you know, like this is something I think we should be looking at well, anyway. Well, I think this but... happened to Japan where they kind of went into a gigantic de- like deflation. Like they just sort of were slagging for a long time. Yeah. And then they built up a lot of things and they changed and adjusted things. I think they're the third largest economy in the world right now. But again, that's a big gap. That is a big gap. However, when you look at the entire population of BRICS, you've got South Africa that has 60 million as their population, China 1.4 billion, India 1.4 billion, Russia 134 million, and Brazil with 214 million. And then you take their GDPs and you have South Africa's got 419 billion as a GDP. China's 17.73 trillion, and all of these are in U.S. dollars. Uh, India's 3.1 trillion, Russia's 1.7 trillion. I was really surprised. I thought that would be higher. And Brazil is 1.6. So if you look at how they've grown since 2001, they've all grown, but China has been like, Yeah, so there's a chart that they showed on the growth. So back when this guy is saying, hey, these are the countries Mm -hmm. to watch, if you know, from that 2001 time span, China has gone up 350%. Mm India has gone up over 200%. And Russia, they went up uh, maybe 75. South Africa and Brazil are floating around 50%. So some of them didn't pan out the same way, but China skyrocketed. India essentially skyrocketed. I mean, that's yeah. a huge Not increase. Not as big as China, but Not as big as China, but... Definitely big. However, when you talk about the population of those countries... Yeah. And you talk about the richest countries in the world by GDP per capita, so per person, these are some very poor countries still. Because their population is so high that they are not even on any kind of list for any kind of rich country in the world. So they have gigantic economies. They have huge they have economies. They gigantic have gigantic populations. A lot of very rich people, yes. but they have huge amounts of poor people. Huge amounts of poor people. And in fact, nobody in BRICS is anywhere close to on the richest countries of the world. Because of that. Well, on that per per capita. capita. Only per capita. Not total GDP, but GDP per capita, per person. But the interesting thing, and you were getting into this earlier too, is that BRICS is expanding. Yes. And so starting, they had a summit this year Mm -hmm. in August. In South Africa. They invited five other countries. And I do believe that each of those five countries is planning to come in in January. Yep. And so you have, like, the United Arab Emirates, and you have, oh, goodness. Well, you got uh, Saudi Arabia. Yeah. uh, The United Arab Emirates. Iran. I'm trying to find it. Egypt. Oh. Argentina, Saudi Arabia, Iran, and United Arab Emirates. 
which yeah, is so I think it's actually six of them. Because if you think that's only five, if you think about the personalities of these countries, and I really wanted to talk about this, I'm so excited to talk about this. Well, yeah, there's six: Ethiopia and Egypt. Oh, I didn't have Ethiopia but, in there, but but anyway, yeah, the <laughs> getting got, into the personalities. Iran. Yeah. <laughs> you've got Russia. You've got Saudi Arabia. And I suspect that some of those were very strategic in Iran and Saudi Arabia and United Arab Emirates is also that they have oil. Oh, that's true. So if you look at the chart that they have of, all right, here's the share of global oil is after they added those new countries, those six new countries, they will now have... 43% 43% of the world's oil production Whoa. as part of their alliance. And I think that that's the reason that that's they went after terrifying. Saudi Arabia, Iran, and the United Arab Emirates Kate. is to get that pressure. Because yes. at this point, they're still trading in the American dollar. And so you'd end up having this leverage where you can uh, play with the price of oil or the the production of oil is really what you're playing with. And again, Where you're saying, here's what we'll, you know, we'll lower our output and then put the stress on these other countries. Which they've already played with this yeah. year. I mean, OPEC's been doing it for a long time, but right. this year but in this particular, year in Saudi particular, Arabia they... and Russia both got together and said, you know, let's decrease production mm-hmm. and raise up the costs. And it kind of reminds me of like one of those 1990s movies where you've got the, Mike Myers, bad guy with the bald head, and they're like, he's like, let me show you what I can do. And so I'm like, I bet they did this to be like, look, look, look what we can do. We're valuable to you. But See, that's I really do think that them adding Saudi Arabia, Iran, and United Arab Emirates was a, a very deliberate selection to get the oil, to get that leverage. They have very, Bricks has very clearly stated that they want to change the world order. Yeah. And that has always, ever since World War II, been like like an icky phrase to me. The New World Order. The and new I'm like, world New world order. world order. Like, it just sounds very intense, and I don't like it. But um, but they they are. And they are not shy about saying that they don't want the American dollar. They, I mean, who was it? It was Putin? Putin. I mean, that was what he talked about yeah. during the summit. It was just that we're going to... You know, stop using the American dollar. I mean, he's got a very particular, you know, beef because, you know, the the sanctions mm. were targeted to to try and, you know, bring Russia to heel. And he's saying, look, you know, like it, you guys can't, you know, let the you know one country kind of dictate how everybody is going to behave. And so one of the things that they say is like, oh, we're just looking to create like a multi polar world so rather than just have the one and it's interesting too is the words that they use they they really kind of follow the new you know you're supposed to use the right words to convince people what to believe and so they they always refer to everything as the propaganda u.s hegemony or hegemony i don't even remember how to say that hegemony (laughs) i've not heard about it (laughs) <laughs> and and they refer to the global south, which is another one, and that's oh yeah. They 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 use the term global south to refer to all these uh, poor you know countries, American non Canadian yeah. countries. Yes, and, and which is so funny <laughs> because 
the biggest players in this game are Russia and China. Yeah. And, and not financially, but politically. And and China for sure. Like I honestly oh, think China, is, China. is looking at this as this is mm-hmm. this, this will is be their the equivalent of the <laughs> Uh, of NATO where, you know, mm-hmm. U.S. kind of drives the boat with NATO and China is like, okay, we'll, we'll be the ones driving this because mm-hmm. we'll, we're essentially the dominant country in this alliance. Yes. And so. Oh, massively dominant because the only reason I think Russia is a larger player here is because they have a larger history of being a superpower. I, I, I was going to say, I, mean, I think it's all history. It's all political history. It's all social stuff. Like, it's not because they have a strong arm, which is funny because of the hammer arm that is in all of their stuff. They don't really have a strong arm when it comes to economy. They don't have really a strong arm when it comes to exporting, except for maybe food. But this is China's well, red oil basket. is what they're... Oh, that's true. But that... now they got Saudi Arabia, they're not going to be as important in oil. No, but if they're with allied with them, I think that puts them in a very strong position. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out because this BRICS thing is relatively new. And one of the mm-hmm. things, you know, they started in 2009. They've been going for a while. They're just starting to pick up momentum is what it seems to me. Mm-hmm. But when I look at it, I really do see that I feel like Again, China is the mastermind behind this because this benefits China. They they originally went after some of these countries because of what it would offer them, because of the resources that they could get from Brazil, because of the resources that they could get from India. Because right now, China is at war with India. And they're like, yeah, let's get together economically. Like, I don't understand this. <laughs> Because one of the things the G7 does is they get together and they talk about politics and they talk about how there should be connections and we should be on the same page about things because we are the seven largest economies in the world. And when I see BRICS, I see this as a big failing because right now the only thing they share in common is that they don't like America. And I don't think that's enough to build a long-lasting and enduring group. Maybe, but I actually really do think that there's more to it than that because the original, when G7 originally formed, it was the equivalent of of like a NATO sort of thing is we're the anti-communist group here. And that's what it formed as. And now BRICS is kind of, you know, we're the anti- it's not necessarily like capitalism because they're not anti-capitalism. It's, they're anti-America. It's mostly anti-America. And th- they don't phrase it like that. Right. They're basically, we're anti-having one country that dictates how everybody behaves. Which I actually can understand. Like, Same. that makes a lot like, of sense Like, it makes a lot me. of sense. If you say it like that, when you mm-hmm. say, oh, they're anti-U.S., like, as a U.S. citizen, you're kind of like, oh, you know, like these guys her? don't like us. But... <laughs> But I don't think that that's their big thing. They just say, you know, hey, we want an equal seat at the table here. And that's one of the things that they talk about is we'll make a multipolar, you know, world where, you know, BRICS has the same level of influence, say, as, as G7. Okay, well, here's where I run into a problem. 
G7 doesn't do the same things as G20. Everyone in the G7 yeah. is in the G20. And it used to be the G8, but Russia got kicked out when they annexed Crimea. But he's, they're still in the G20. So they still have an organization that is that does this. And, and the things that they do, again, the G7 is political. It's mostly political, and the G20 is mostly economics and climate change and things like that. But they have separated from a group that already is supposed to be doing this and making their own group that is not acting like the G7. It's acting like the G20, but they're still part of the G20. Well, like, I, I honestly think that it is closer to a G7 thing than a G20 thing. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the things that they talk about are economic, but I think what they're really trying to do is get political power. And that they're trying to do that economically by weakening the U.S. and the U.S. dollar. But it's not, I, I, I still think that the major part of the alliance is more power related than economy yes. related. And but it's that, just I that they're going to use the economics. It's because that, that one, that's what makes it hard for me. But the, the one of the things that I found interesting is so I went and looked at their. Um, they they have a website, you know, for BRICS, and they had one about their 2023 summit. Yeah. So, like, I went and looked. They had a theme and priorities page on it, and they talk about, you know, this, this is what we're going to be focused on this year. And when I read through it, all I really thought was these guys aren't doing anything. You know, like, yeah. this, is a, this is a joke. So uh-huh. here's... Here's their uh, <laughs> priorities doing. that they had put out. Smoke show. Smoke so screen. the first one was, you know, developing a partnership towards an equitable, just transition. And what that really meant was something related to climate. And where, you know, they, they feel like the poor countries are um, need some help. And so they're going to, you know, one of their themes and priorities was to help out these countries. Which, in a way, it's like, there you go. Good for you. You take yeah. it on. Because I feel like American dollars have been helping out poor countries forever, and we need to focus on our own economy. And, and, but then their next one is transforming education and skills development for the future. And I think, oh, that sounds good. That doesn't mean anything. What, is, what does it mean? Nothing. You know, like, and maybe they have something that they're really backing up, and they're, you know, we'll make more schools, more whatever, but it mostly just feels like a feel-good thing. And their next one was unlocking opportunities through the African continental free trade area. So this one was held in South Africa, and they put a focus on, you know, let's help out the African economies. And I I get it, but it's one of those things that I don't understand, you know, like what the actionable item, you know, what 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 would you do? And I don't get that. But it sounds really nice. The next one, strengthening post-pandemic socioeconomic recovery and the attainment of the 2030 Agenda on Sustainable Development. Okay, I'm sorry. Have you ever met China or Russia? Yeah. These are not things that are on their They're... radar. <laughs> strengthening post-pandemic socioeconomic recovery? But okay, doesn't it China. sound good? <laughs> and then the last one was... Do you know what this is? Strengthening... This is them saying... You know what? If we put this, they're going to be wasting all their money trying to do better than us, and that is the trick here. Part of me <laughs> just thinks, 
All they're doing is they're just going and copying, you know, yeah. what does the G7 say they're working on this year? Let's, <laughs> let's say the same thing, because that sounds exactly like something that the G7 would uh-huh. say. The last one was the worst one. Strengthening multilateralism, including working towards real reform of global governance institutions and strengthening the meaningful participation of women in peace processes. Yeah, right. And I, I think that India, is the same Saudi level of like... Arabia? Yeah. Iran? Oh, I want more women and all this stuff. <laughs> and, and Russia and... Oh, it, yeah. It doesn't... And what I... Is that's exactly the sort of thing that you would hear at G7. Yeah. And, the, and they, it really probably brought the guy over who'd been doing it from the G7. It, like they, it's like they're copying the homework, mm-hmm. and I hate it because like I always feel like I must be a terrible person because one of the things they had in their blurb was the marginalization of women in peace processes needs to be addressed. And I think I don't by you. I don't know <laughs> what you mean in the first place. The marginalization of women in the peace process, Tiffer, needs to be addressed. <laughs> And then they go on, lasting peace, security, and sustainable development cannot be achieved without the inclusion of women in conflict resolution as well as in post-conflict reconstruction. Kate, first off, you don't think the women are doing something. You are crazy. But I don't... First, ugh. See, and this is where I think I'm just too stupid because this is what... What would you do different? Like... What are guys too stupid to do that you'd be like, okay, only a woman can do this? Well, they're trying to include them. And uh, I right, get and it. I get that. But, but then when, when you say, like, this China can't happen. Russia been cared. Like, what? You show me all those women in Russian leadership. And, mm. and instead of just flat out saying, hey, look, you guys have been excluding women, you know, knock it off. We recognize our misogyny. They do this whole, you know, like, peace isn't even possible without... I, th- I don't think I get what you're it trying has to say been up until this point. So that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know that peace has ever really been on the table, you know, but but it's one of those things that I think if you try and turn this, you, you're not going to change anything. If you give the entire peace process to women, you still have the same problem in that people have a very hard time being happy after war. The thing that throws me off of this. Because the truth is, I don't care what your gender is. I think that your intelligence is what matters and your approach. Your gender is, but they are, I think they're trying to say, hey, we recognize we don't have any women. I just don't think they actually really care. I don't know if they care, but the, the whole thing that gets me is like, this is exactly the sort of thing that I think you would see at at G7. It's like, I kind of thought, okay, these guys are going to be, because one of the things that I think, you know, Putin kind of rails on all the time is kind of the this the woke concept. You know, the West is trying to force this. Mm-hmm. You know, the, and look these, at them. And I think, yeah, you're sure doing the exact same thing. Toes. That is what it, I it think would no be so funny about this. Is I'm like, you go ahead, you make bricks big, and then you see you the will fun do the same exact thing. It. Yeah. <laughs> And, and strengthening post-pandemic <laughs> socioeconomic recovery like that you're doing the exact same thing <laughs> <Have This> fun. <laughs> and i wonder if they know it like i wonder if there's they're just no way they know it because they're still in that junior high phase where they're like yeah you know thinking they're becoming an adult and you're like i get it and Sometimes i i totally I get that in fact like 
that's how I feel a lot of the, with a lot of stuff is like, and this is something I think the Africans like, like we don't want to be treated like we're kids at the table here, mm-hmm. you know, treat us like we're adults at the table. We understand that, you know, economically we're not, you know, say the same as the U.S. We mm-hmm. get that, <laughs> but treat us, you know, like, you know, quit treating us like we're kids. Oh my gosh. I, so <laughs> the reason why Europe became everything that Europe is, is because they had developed to a point where they've got so many things under control that now, you know, when you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, now they're worried about the dumb crap at the top, right? Well, America has hit that point where we have all the other needs pretty much well taken care of, and we're worried about dumb crap at the top. So now we've got these countries that have no freaking idea what that looks like. They've got low per capita GDP, they don't really know. And they're just like wandering in this arena. And it's like, (laughs) (laughs) it's not fun over here, you guys. It's not fun. It is a different kind of not fun. And it's a more people aren't dying of starvation, not fun. Yeah, which is a good thing. It's a preferred not fun. Yeah, like if you have to choose. (laughs) But it's like you have... Like when they say up in, in that piece where they're like, oh, we're going to help out other countries and make sure that they're developing properly. And I think have fun, have fun watching your dollars or your yuan just like drift away into the development of countries who don't like you and who will turn against you in an instant. And when they have a fight with their neighbor, they're going to come to you for that money. And they're going to just like you become the new person to suckle <laughs> yeah and i'm like yeah that's fine go ahead like you, you and there that. is a level of that and <laughs> what's interesting is i was reading in because the it was really the de-dollarization concept that that scares me is because uh-huh. i actually don't care if we have like a multi you know polar world i'm actually one of the people that thinks I think that's it, the way it, it should be. you know like the u.s mm-hmm. shouldn't be out there dictating you know how everybody else behaves I totally agree with that. So having this, you know, multipolar world doesn't bother me, assuming that the, uh, you know, that, that both sides are behaving responsibly, which I don't know is true in any case. Well, you've got a bunch of these countries coming in that none of them have a really great score when it comes to not being corrupt. Yeah. So you're like, how are you going to work together here? Like, I mean, I know they're all, in, a lot of them are in the G20. I get it. But I do think they're trying to create something here that I don't think is going to mesh together quite as well as they think it's going to, at least for a while. Yeah, I'm I'm <laughs> curious because I do think that this is in the beginning and that it could turn into something huge because, as you were alluding to earlier, there's like 35 other countries that want it. Yeah. And so if all, you know, if you currently have 43% of, the global oil production and you invite 35 more countries in and all of a sudden you've got you know 60 70 percent if you actually can all work in concert that that's a tremendous amount of power Mm -hmm. and i i it always worries me that somebody could do that you know that somebody could just say tell you what you know nobody outside of our alliance gets any you know oil you're all on your own. But they're going to have to learn a whole heck of a lot of diplomacy. 
because these are the countries that have not utilized diplomacy in the way that historically the other countries have. Yeah, it, it'll be really interesting to see how the diplomacy thing pans out because as you were, you know, China and India, yeah, China and India are in conflict right now. Mm -hmm. So they have border conflicts and they've had like casualties in, you know, you kind of said they're at war and it, it may be a little bit, but well, realistically they've got a border war, a conflict, conflict mm -hmm. going on. Where they and, are shooting at each other but and have military. As part of, you know, when they got together at the BRICS conference in, in August, I think they started to address that. And I think having this alliance yes. will, will put people in a position where they're more willing to say, you know what, that that territory doesn't matter as much if we can increase our economies mm -hmm. uh, working together. So I think the diplomacy thing, like this could be the step that they need to start the diplomacy process. But it'll be really interesting to see because I am still not convinced if this is just a bunch of kids getting together going, you know, we're going to start our own club. And It truly will depend on how they interact with each other. I think more than it depends on how they interact with everybody else. And the big question that I have is whether or not they intend, you know, like, is this something that they want to, you know, like punish the U.S. sort of thing. You know, like they've got all the oil production and they could go to, all right, G7 countries, you know, we're going to cut you out of, you know, our oil deals and we'll make it so that you can't. Definitely, because I think Russia's one of their things is they were so attacked after they attacked Ukraine that they would like to be in a position where they can do that to the United States or to Europe, any of the NATO countries. and be able to have that power and and that's another thing where I, I just think it's really hard for me to think that it's going to be incredibly successful unless they change those attitudes because if you do something out of anger you're going to fizzle out it's just not I mean I don't know how much backing you can have out of anger I mean out of fear and self-preservation sure but a lot of this from the big players is out of anger in my mind so like brazil if brazil south africa and india got together and started this i think it would be a more successful group than having china and russia play along because china and russia have a huge history of not giving a crap who their friends are and kind of doing their own thing yeah, one of the things that they talked about at this conference is that uh, China and Russia were pushing it as more of a anti-U.S. Yeah. alliance, whereas India and Brazil were pushing it more as an economic alliance. It's, mm -hmm. you know, like, we're not here to punish people. We're here to help our economies and to grow and to make, you know, give our people a better life, essentially. But And I can see that if it got big enough that that could shove Russia into alignment because Russia's not a big player. Russia's little economically. But China, this is why I said I think China, this is their breadbasket. This is their little cornucopia of, and then I get this, and then I get that. Because Brazil came out a couple of weeks ago and said, hey, we want to create a BRICS currency and trade in BRICS currency. And I'm like, then you have the European Union all over again, and then you have Brexit. 
because the British pound got converted to the European euro. And then they're like, hey, this kind of screws us over because our economy is good. And now we have to go kind of lean towards the lowest common denominator. Well, you're going to do that to China. China is not going to do that. China loves their devalued money, but they are in a point where they're ready to flip over and have their currency be worth more than the United States currency. And it is totally, it will screw China over if they end up making a currency based on all of these countries like they did in the European Union. And I thought about if it was kind of like a European Union, because in some ways, I mean, I don't know what this kind of group is, because the European Union came together because they had a lot of the same kind of ideologies, and and they were able to, even though they function as individual countries, they were able to have agreement on a lot of stuff in the beginning. And I just see the other countries could have done it. I don't think China and Russia are going to help this group. See, and I think that uh, China wouldn't care so much because they feel like everything's going to be built around them. And it would have to, given the disparity. And and so that's why, like, I don't know that they're really going to care. What I think is that a lot of people feel like um, having the dollar be the dominant currency as for international trade gives the U.S. a huge benefit and that they're trying to nullify that is, you know, hey, let's make this more even. And some people are saying, you know, like you don't really understand that the dollar being the dominant currency does give us, you know, some uh, advantages, Mm -hmm. but there's a huge cost to it. We have a huge department that works nonstop to... I guess, adjust the rate of dollars Mm -hmm. and, you know, try and keep everything on even keel. And you're going to have to do that. You know, if you come up with your own currency, you're going to have to come up with this huge department and spend all this time and money and expertise, which is really the big thing. You're going to have to trade out everybody's currency, which is expensive. Yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see because one of the things that I saw is they were saying, you know, like that, is not an, a a short term goal. Like that's more of a mm. medium term goal. In the yeah. short term, the goal is to just increase trade. But still, if you include, if the European Union came to the United States and said, "Hey, we want you in," the United States would never go because if you combine a ton of those countries in the European Union together, you still get nowhere near the American GDP. So you are not going to do anything for your country as America by joining a group like that. And so I think the same thing will happen with China. And I actually feel really bad for the countries like South Africa and Brazil and Argentina because I feel like they're jumping out of the frying pan into the fire. I feel like you are going to make bedfellows with a country who does not care about you. They only care about them. But I think that that's what people think of, you know, like the, I don't think the U.S. necessarily cares about a lot of these countries Compared either. Compared to China? I honestly don't think it's really that different. I do. But, yeah, for the most part, I don't know. The, the interesting thing to me is that Argentina 
they've got a guy currently running for president who wants to put them on the U.S. dollar and wants to make oh. their currency the U.S. dollar. That'd be tricky if they're in BRICS. Wouldn't and it? that would be kind of interesting if they went to, you know, BRICS and uh, BRICS went. And, and the thing with this currency that How they're talking that? about is that this is not like a European Union. We're all going to use the euro. This is not a U.S. dollar. This is more of the idea of going back to like a gold standard sort of thing, but not wow. using gold. Mm-hmm. So this currency that they're talking about would only be used in international trade. You would not use it, you know, you wouldn't go to the Seven Eleven and buy anything in this currency. Like the, right. the currency probably wouldn't even physically exist. It would just be crypto. It would be more of a cryptocurrency sort of thing where they're saying, you know, there's this maybe set amount so that you can't prop it up with, you can buy it with your, you know, currency sort of thing. And essentially that's what you'll do is similar to like the Bretton Woods system where the dollar became what you traded and everybody pegged their currency to the dollar as you would peg your currency to this new BRICS currency and then you would, you know, make your trade and then pull it out in your currency. But how would you feel comfortable joining in an alliance with someone like China who has openly admitted that they wrongly value their currency. Like, how do you go into someone who has built their entire economy based on essentially cheating the rest of the world? So I don't know how you go in and say, well, I trust that China has my best interest. Well, I mean, keep in mind, one of the things that happened, you know, when the U.S. went off the gold standard, one of the reasons they did that was specifically so that they could manipulate their currency. You know, that was the goal is we cannot manipulate our currency. It's not that China's the only one thinking to do this. It's that where the U.S. is now, we can't do it. We couldn't manipulate our currency if we tried because it's spread out across the entire world. Well, what I meant is how we could print our money. Yeah. And then we lost the purchasing power, which was whatever that was, you know, stupid or not. But, you know, if, if, we did that, we did that openly, and it still was detrimental to know that somebody is willing to, you know, do whatever and then lie about it seems fairly risky. It doesn't seem the same as just regular manipulation that I had been referring to, but I still actually hate. <laughs> yeah, and, and honestly, I don't know enough about it. it. It's a weird one to me to even get into this concept of of currency manipulation and and why you would you know do it because i'm you know one of the people that really believes that you know money isn't there's no the only value there is the ability to get goods and services Mm -hmm. so all you'd ever really want to do as a country is increase your goods and services the value of the money is you know, doesn't matter as much. It's the amount of goods and services you have. So, like, for example, if you had, say, like a, a pizza and you got, you know, $10 and you're like, how much of that pizza can I buy? If you got $7, you know, how much of that pizza can I buy? If you got $5, it all matters on how much the other person has. But if you only have one pizza, the maximum amount of pizza you can buy is one pizza. So you don't really want to print more money and be like, now I got twenty dollars. I can buy. You want more pizza? You want to create more goods and services? But somehow, by manipulating that currency, 
it changes your manufacturing. Like they, that's one of the reasons they say the U.S. manufacturing is low, is because it we can't export our goods to other countries because the value of the dollar is too high. So that's what they say China is doing is they make their value low, and then people will buy their stuff for what you know seems like cheap, and then they all they do is increase their manufacturing like crazy. Whereas the U.S. can't do that. And it's very successful, 300 and some odd percent successful. Yeah, but they are getting to the point where now they're a, a richer country and they're having problems because the truth is wealthier, you know, well-to-do people don't want to work in factories. Well, not so, only that, they have a higher standard for everything. Yeah. They want better roads. They want better buildings. They want better housing. They want, when you can't, get away with as much when people have higher expectations of you and know that you have the capability to fulfill those higher expectations because you have the money behind it. Yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what really, you know, happens with this BRICS thing. Like if I had to make a prediction. Yes. Give me a prediction. My prediction is that BRICS continues to grow, but does little change in the world. My prediction is if they kick out Russia and China, they will be just fine, and they will do well. See, and I think they'll be just fine anyway. I just, I honestly just don't think they're going to make a lot of difference. I think it's just going to be, you've created this organization that now you're going to have summits every year, and you're mm-hmm. going to go out, and you're going to talk about all the good things you do, just like, uh, you know, a lot of businesses, they go and have their... Uh, conventions and they all get together and they and i don't know that anything comes out of a lot of those aside from a lot of feel good talking and that's what i feel like a lot it's going to be they'll get together and talk about all the cool stuff that they would like to do and i don't know that they'll do any of it but they'll feel really good about it i'll bet but I mean, that's kind of all I had. The de-dollarization thing I think is really interesting. I guess one last thing with that is they they talk about the amount of dollars out there and what they would say with the de-dollarization is that everybody who has this money in reserve would then be going back to the U.S. and be like, all right, here's your dollars back. Give us you know something in return for it. And they say that could flood six trillion dollars into the u.s market as all these countries go yeah we don't want your dollars in reserves anymore here they here they are back and they would you know essentially take you know a good or service you know in exchange for them but that would flood the u.s with an additional like six trillion dollars in currency floating around so what i oh go ahead well and and the only thing is is that that then causes that kind of inflation where now it's like you just printed an additional six trillion dollars, which is nothing. Which is <laughs> we are that's par for the course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we already did that twice. Thanks so. a lot, world. We know what to do. <laughs> we'll just be like, we're not going to print any money for six years now. But um, I think that I I I could see that for sure. I I truly wonder. It'll be interesting to see how it comes together. But I do think its biggest catch-up, as I've said this entire thing, the hang-up they have is China and Russia. They have to. It's too political for them. 
And so I think these other countries are trying really hard to create a space for themselves and like have this cool group to be a part of. Well, when you say that, what's one of the things that is kind of interesting is they were saying that some of the wording around things has changed. So when they have like these BRICS, you know, summits and the, they talk to these, you know, BRICS members and it changes from, you know, the, you know, war against Ukraine to the war in Ukraine. Because mm-hmm. Russia was, you know, hey, I don't want you calling, you know, we're not yeah, fighting we against. we didn't invade them. Yeah. We were invited to beat them up. And so there is kind of this uh, change in 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 the way people talk already based off of having, you know, Russia in the group that I don't know if that would happen otherwise. But Yeah. And I don't know what the full effect, you know, would, you know, really be. I don't know if that means, you know, people would will turn around and start, you know, say like backing, you know, Russia or anything like that. But. Well, I also think with the war in China, the war that's coming to the United States from with China and how they're already making alliances with Russia and North Korea, I think that that just raises more suspicions on this than... Well, that will be really crazy if, some, if, if a war between the U.S. and China really did break out. You would have a really interesting situation where you'd essentially be looking at India going, what are you going to do? India has already said that they are Russia friends. They are... Russia has been giving them weapons to fight China on their border issue. Right. But, so <laughs> if there's a war between U.S. and China, and does we're... India go, hey, now's our chance to get our territory back? Or do they go, no, we're in no. this economic they're... alliance with China. I we'll either remain neutral or. We'll... I think that's why they're in BRICS at all is because they're in so deep with with Russia and already. I think that they refused to break ties with Russia when they invaded, for example, when they invaded in uh, 2021? 2022, I think. Oh, when they invaded Ukraine, they said that they're going to side with Russia because they rely on Russia so much. So I would be really surprised. Right. But what they were kind of saying is, like, we're just not going to condemn them. You know, like, we're not saying that this was cool and we're for it. We're just saying we're going to continue to do business with them. And I don't know what would happen if the U.S. and China, because the question is, do they just go in and say, all right, now we're enemies with the United States, or do they look at it and go, hey, this is our chance. You know, we can become the dominant force in Asia. I have no idea. You know, it's all hypothetical anyway, but I think they have, a big choice to make, and I don't know what they would choose. Because yeah. realistically, I think if they joined with China, that would put the U.S. in a really tough position where they're fighting. Well, strategically, how do you pick when you're already touching yeah. China? <laughs> how do you pick that? How do you pick to be against them? It'd be strategically lovely for the United States, but... If they did. I don't. It just doesn't seem very likely to me. And so they then the option is: do they try and remain neutral, or do they say, "All right, we're we're all in with you know China, so we're fighting the U.S." I feel like China would say, "If you're not with us, you are against us." Kind of a situation. I could see that, but I could mm-hmm. also see that being something where 
you know, like the U.S. and Japan and what you don't necessarily want to just be like the the best case scenario. I think is that you try and remain neutral, and mm-hmm. whether or not they could. It'd be so funny if they get all these countries in, and then they start the war, and the other countries are like, "No, China, bad." <laughs> <laughs> China's like, "Wait a second. <laughs> it would be interesting <laughs> if that. I plan this big group. Yeah, for my own benefit, and they hate me. <laughs> Mm, that'd be amusing (laughs) anyway thanks you guys so much for joining us yeah see ya bye